From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. 1996 could be called the year of baseball in Lansing. 1996, the Lansing Lugnuts moved from their previous home in Springfield, Illinois, to Lansing, Michigan. Owners Tom Dixon and Sherry Myers had previously purchased the team, and upon moving the franchise to Lansing and playing their first game on April 5th of 1996, Baseball returned, professional baseball returned to Lansing. Lansing had a long history of the sport of baseball being played here. And on this episode of Land Stories, we're going to look at baseball in Lansing. But we're not going to look at the Lansing Lugnuts. We're going to go way back in time to the very first professional baseball team that played in Lansing. A team that went through several iterations and played in several leagues a team that was known as the Lansing Senators. Baseball has a history that runs parallel to so many other aspects of American culture and American society, and it has its roots as an American sport way back in time before even the American Civil War. And I think one of the reasons why baseball captivates to this day the memory uh, the the uh, historical memory and a lot of the interest in American cultural history is precisely for that reason, because it goes so far back in time. There are very few things left in American society that we encounter very obviously on a day-to-day basis that date back to before the Civil War. But baseball, for people that follow sports, is one such sport. Baseball has a history in and of itself that is very much tied into how the United States developed as a nation, going all the way back again to the decades prior to the Civil War. And by the time you get to the 1880s, the 1890s, baseball is being played as a professional sport all around the United States. And by professional sport, what's really meant by that is people are getting paid to do it. They're getting paid to play baseball. The definition typically of a professional compared to, say, an amateur is oftentimes, well, a professional is paid to do something and an amateur necessarily isn't. Professional baseball, therefore, makes its presence known everywhere around the United States by the time you get into the latter part of the 19th century. And Lansing, being a growing city in the Midwest of the United States at the time, itself became the home of a professional baseball team. In 1889, playing in the then-called Michigan State League, a six-team professional baseball league located in the state of Michigan, as the name would suggest, The Lansing Senators play their first game, managed by W.H. Mumby. And that league, the Michigan State League, like a lot of 
early professional baseball leagues in the United States was not a uh, financially solvent league. It had troubles, and as the professional sport of baseball expands, many leagues come and go. The Michigan State League is interesting because it had several iterations to it. It formed in 1889 and played through the 1889 season and into 1890, and then it folded, and then it came back a few years after that and folded again and came back again. All in all, the Michigan State League went through several iterations of formations and reformations throughout the early part of the 1900s. And the Lansing Senators would be a part of that league for its existence. The other cities that were represented uh, with teams in the Michigan State League included teams in Adrian, Battle Creek, Jackson, Kalamazoo, Owasso, Port Huron, Muskegon, Manistee, Grand Rapids, Greenville, Flint, Saginaw, all around the southern part of Michigan that teams were organized at the professional level and played in this league. So with Lansing, the Senators were playing in a league that was consisting of teams that came from places in southern Michigan, therefore, that were of similar size to Lansing. The 1895 Lansing Senators were one of the more respectable teams that Senators put on the field in the Michigan State League. And 1895 was one of those reiterations of the Michigan State League. It formed in 1889, it folded in 1890, and it came back in 1895. The 1895 Lansing Senators season saw the team go 56 and 36. And one of the more interesting stories on that team is a 47-year-old player who ended with a career batting average of 308 in 465 career games, a gentleman by the name of Bud Fowler. And Bud Fowler was born John W. Jackson in none other than Cooperstown, New York. Cooperstown, New York is the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame nowadays. And there are a few Cities in the United States, few towns in the United States that have more of a nostalgic and historic tie to the history of baseball than Cooperstown because of its location as the Baseball Hall of Fame. And there's an interesting history behind why Cooperstown became the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And that actually is a story for another day that, uh, well, if this was a program that looked at the history of New York we would get into, but for now we'll leave it at that and we'll keep our focus for the moment on Bud Fowler. Born John W. Jackson in Cooperstown, Fowler was the first professional baseball player in the United States who is African American. That's right. Uh, Jackie Robinson is known as the player who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball which happened in the 1940s, but going all the way back to 1878, Fowler made his professional baseball appearance for the first time playing in the International Association. He was, by 1895, the only African-American professional baseball player anywhere in the United States that we know of. He finished his career, as I mentioned, with a career batting average over 300, he hit 308 and played in 465 games. That's quite the career 
for any minor league baseball player. And certainly at that time, when leagues such as the Michigan State League, for example, played somewhere around 100 games a season on average. So he had a career that took him uh, different places in the United States. The 1895 Lansing Senators ended up having uh, several players on the team that had quite the record. And, and Jack Daly was the uh, team leader that year. He hit 397, uh, had 143 hits and 25 home runs. Now, the year-by-year history of the Lansing Senators is very interesting to consider. And in thinking about professional baseball, though, the cultural aspect of it is, in my mind, uh, every bit as interesting as the year-by-year stats. And, and baseball is a sport that is absolutely obsessed with stats and statistics. Uh, if you do not follow baseball at all, the knowledge of the statistical nature of the sport is nonetheless very obvious if you have any conversation with anybody who follows baseball. If you take a look at baseball scores uh, that are printed, they are full of statistics. And part of the reason for that is because baseball is this unique sport that has a combination of a team organization with the opportunity for individuals themselves to contribute greatly to the team. And baseball, perhaps because of that setup, also is a sport that can have one or two players who are really, really good and have absolutely outstanding statistics playing for a team that is otherwise not so good. And I could name... uh, quite a few teams that are in the major leagues right now that would fall under this uh, description. So baseball has always been a sport that has looked heavily upon statistics as a way of trying to explain what's going on. But culturally, baseball has this incredible, fascinating history that runs parallel with so many aspects of the development of American culture. The way the sport itself was played and looked at going all the way back to its earliest days, uh, tells us much about American culture, American society, and how that culture and society was developing. So if we go back to the early days of baseball, the years shortly after the Civil War, the decade of the 1870s, and into the decade of the 1880s, when the sport is being organized and starting to be played professionally, the rules of the game are set And an entire culture develops around not only playing the game, but watching it as a spectator that very much mimics or mirrors society as a whole. And in that aspect, baseball is a sport that in some ways becomes an action art form that is played out in front of an increasingly large group of spectators And the players on the field take on roles that in some ways are artistic renditions of roles that are developing in society. So baseball was a sport that was always played in the afternoon. And the duration of a baseball game early on 
was set that it was something that people could have a leisurely afternoon, a break from work, whatever their work entailed, to sit around for a couple hours and watch a game, a game of skill, both athletic skill and mental skill, sort of a combination of the physical and the psychological or emotional acumen that was necessary to successfully navigate this game. And spectators would come out to baseball games in the afternoon, and it was quite an affair. People would dress nicely to go to baseball games. It was seen as a gentleman's sport. And up until even into the 1930s and 40s, uh, one can look at uh, photos taken of professional baseball games, and the crowds are full of people that are dressed in their Sunday best. Uh, Early on, the sport was more heavily attended by men than women, but women have always been uh, an important part of the game of baseball, including uh, professional baseball. There were women leagues that developed side-by-side the earliest uh, professional leagues that men played in. And in that aspect, there's another cultural development that's going on in the United States because in the late 1800s and early 1900s, you have a substantial movement for women's rights in the United States. Ultimately, uh, the biggest right being the right to vote, uh, which was a right that was fought for at the state and then eventually at the national level in the late 1800s and early 1900s. There are other aspects of baseball culture that uh, we can consider as being endemic. And again, kind of an artistic representation of what was going on in American society as a whole. Let's imagine for a moment that it's the year 1885, and we're watching a professional baseball game. And it's a team like the Lansing Senators that are playing. The ballpark is indeed a park. It is a park setting, very similar to city parks that were developing all around the uh, United States at the time. Parks were set up in urban environments during this time period, uh, seen as an essential component of creating a healthy city. American cities were industrializing and growing rapidly at this time period. And that industrialization brought with it a certain crowding that bothered a lot of social reformers at the time. And the development of a workforce that was moving into cities to work in places like factories or offices, which was a great deviation from the overwhelmingly agricultural society and an American economy that was built almost entirely on agriculture uh, before the Civil War. And social reformers, people who were looking at society as a whole as it's developing into this industrial production society, looked at the movement of people into cities and the uh, rearranging of work out of the outdoors into the indoors and indoor environments such as factories as being something that potentially threatened the health and the overall well-being of society writ large. And so... As an attempt to alleviate this, many city planners start 
building parks at the time period. And there are uh, some of the largest urban parks in the world uh, in existence to this day, actually, in the early 21st century, have their roots, uh, their founding, their organization, their layout, their design, their construction into the social reform movement that gave birth to them in the late 1800s. So the setting of baseball games is very much in a park. And to this day, we call baseball stadiums the ballpark. The uniforms that men wore at the time intended to identify the player, of course, but they were also uniforms that would bring a visual representation of order. A visual representation of order because with uniforms, the players could be identified from those who were not playing and one team could be discerned from another. The umpire. The umpire turns out to be a very important character in our artistic rendering of society being played out in roles on the baseball diamond. The umpire originally wore a uniform that looked like a police officer's uniform at the time. And the role of the umpire in a baseball game was very much analogous to the role of the police officer on the city street. So imagine you are sitting in a lovely park watching a game take place that involves a great degree of skill, both mental and physical acumen, and it is being overseen by an umpire figure who has the appearance of a police officer. And that is what the original experience of going to a baseball game would have entailed. And baseball as a sport has its rules set during this time period. And in cities like Lansing, all around the United States, professional baseball teams organize and become professional by means of players being paid to play the sport and the revenue to pay those players coming from the fans who were charged to go watch these games. So the professional sport itself has this just fascinating uh, timeline of, of development that goes right along a timeline of development of urbanization and industrialization in the United States. And the Lansing Professional Ball Club, therefore, uh, is right in line with this. And the very first home of professional baseball in Lansing was a park that is not there anymore. It was a place called Capital City Park. It was located on southeast corner of Washington and Elm Streets, uh, just south of downtown Lansing. And that is where the Lansing Senators would play in 1889 and the brief 1890 season that uh, folded uh, before it was even half over. The ballpark was quite small, so we don't have attendance statistics, for example, to tell us how many people would have gone to a Lansing Senators game. Capital City Park wasn't the only place that the Senators played, though. And in fact, there were several um, baseball parks that would come and go in Lansing as the Michigan State League formed and reformed and formed and reformed. 
uh, as discussed in the early part of this program. And the Senators professional baseball team in Lansing would therefore move or play at different locations. Capital City Park existed. The next place where professional baseball was played in Lansing was a place called Partial Park. That's spelled P-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. And Partial Park was located right in downtown Lansing. It was a few blocks behind where the Capitol building sits nowadays. And it, uh, it housed the Lansing Senators. It had its own rules. They couldn't play baseball there on Sundays, for example. And it uh, takes its name from the gentleman who owned the Lansing uh, Senators at the time, a gentleman by the name of R.N. Partial. Other places that the Lansing Senators played included Fairgrounds Driving Park, uh, not actually located where the current Ingham County Fairgrounds are. Uh, Fairgrounds Driving Park was in the neighborhood to the east of downtown Lansing. So if one drives Michigan Avenue or walks Michigan Avenue east about a mile from the state capitol building uh, where it currently stands, that is where Fairgrounds Driving Park was located. It was a neighborhood ballpark and the uh, the story goes that the team was forced to leave because the neighbors didn't like all the commotion that came with uh, people gathering to watch the sport being played. The Lansing Senators also played at League Park, Waverly Park, Community Park, and Municipal Park. And all of these are locations that were scared around uh, different places in the city of Lansing. So the footprint, if you will, of professional baseball in Lansing followed very much what went on in other cities of the size. The game was played in city parks or other open areas that were either purchased outright by the team or leased by the team or the team was given permission in some cases, uh, permission that did not last permanently to play its sport. And this is really very much how uh, the early days of professional baseball worked in the United States. One such location the Lansing Senators played in, a park called Waverly Park, was located where Waverly High School is located nowadays, or very near it, on Snow Road. At the time, that would have been the outskirts of Lansing. And this is one of those really neat connections of past to present that is entirely related to baseball. Waverly High School uh, is the uh, high school that probably the most famous baseball player ever to come from Lansing went to school at, and that would be none other than the Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz. John Smoltz went to school at Waverly High School. It's where he graduated from. Uh, from the Lansing area, and John Smoltz would go on to have a Hall of Fame career, uh, most notably as a starting pitcher and then a reliever for the Atlanta Braves. So the name Waverly, Waverly High School and location where Waverly High School stands on Snow World has a, an absolutely uh, undeniable and uh, inseparable connection to American pastime of baseball. And that's going to do it for this episode of Land Stories. Uh, be sure and follow our program at lccconnect.org. 
shoot me an email. Send me a message if you uh, heard anything on this program that you would like more information on. And be sure and tune in next time. We are going to continue looking at the history of baseball and its early days in Lansing. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories.